Well, thank you for joining me on this, uh, on, on the Rising Above podcast. Um, I know we've been trying to schedule this for quite some time. Uh, I think ever since uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Oh my gosh, it's been that long. <laughs> it has, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I understand things happen and uh, I've been busy. I'm sure you've been busy. So uh, what's life look like for you? Um, I'm very active in the Vancouver downtown east side community. So it's been, um, you know, just helping the people. And I'm also an artist. So, um, you know, screen printing shirts and I have my own business. And um, I work a lot with um, policing centers. Well, I actually work for one. So um, still learning that job and, you know, wrapping my head around everything, you know, it's always growth with them. So it sounds like you're pretty busy. You help out in your community. What kind of things do you do in your community? Well, oh, we do a lot of resources. And um, if I when I have the chances to do give backs, I do them. I do them because I know that it's really important to people who are struggling to know that there's people out there that care. So, and um, for me, um, like I help in like one of the SROs down here and that's a single room occupant place. And, you know, it's, they're, they're kind of, you know, run down and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in there, but there's one that I've been helping out for, the last five, six years. And, um, you know, it's always, they're so grateful when you help them. And yeah, yeah I don't know, that's what I've been focused on right now is making sure that they're taken care of. <laughs> okay. Um, that's got to be a rewarding feeling, I'm sure, when you're able to help somebody out who's in need. Yeah, well, the, it's rewarding when you see it actually helps you know, when you're not just doing like a give back and you don't see the reward of it, actually, you know, you just see them take it and go. It's rewarding when you actually see it benefits them, you know? So I think that's the best thing about working with people down here in the downtown east side of Vancouver, because we are, we have a high population of um, homeless, uh, mental health, addiction. Like it's, this is the worst, the worst blocks in Canada you know, so it's, it's pretty, it's, and at times it's brutal down here. There's a lot of gang violence and drug violence and, you know, just bad stuff that happens, but yeah, I lost where I was going there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, so when you say that there's a lot of homeless and there's a lot of gang, like gang violence, and um, there's a lot of uh, drugs and stuff, what does that look like? Like, when you're walking down the street do you just openly see it yeah um vancouver is not like the rest of canada like um in edmonton so let's say where i grew up if you got caught with drugs you're instantly going to jail like that's that you know they don't give a shit you know even <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure even if you got caught with a pipe like you're going in wow so um in saskatchewan it's pretty heavy like that too ontario is a little bit leaner but here it's like, you can openly use drugs, um, run into the middle of the street screaming, you know, like it's wow. just, if you walked the 10 blocks of Hastings, your mind would be blown. 
like you, it's never a dull moment, you know, it's, um, and it's, it's sad though, because it's these, all of these people, like somebody had said to me before, um, this is the place of, um, child welfare's, um, lost kids, like the, the, the system failed all of these foster home children, you know? And when I, when they told me that I was like, holy shit, that's true. You know, I bet the majority of people out here were in care, you know, and the system failed them. I mean, I was, um, I was PGO until I was 18. So that was the government was my guardian until I was 18. And I was still running in gangs at 13 on the streets, homeless, like, you know, running from the government, running from the police, you know, everything. So you say PGO, is that what you said? PGO? Yeah, it's called permanent guardianship of the government. Okay. So that's so, essentially the same thing as foster care? Um, it's kind of like a title. So they, they own you, like the government's your parental guardian. So who, who looks over you? Do you, are you in, like placed in a group home or? Well, um, for me, I was, uh, I was a runner and um, I was, I, if I got one bad five from a foster home or a group home, I was gone, you know? <laughs> and, and so I, I think I've probably been in about over a hundred foster homes and group homes growing wow. up. Like I, I, I just didn't even stay around. It was, I felt safer on the streets than I did in a home because I was abused when I was young in a foster home and that stayed with me forever. I mean, being taken from my drunk parental and already going from a bad situation to going to even a worse one. Can we, can, we talk, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Um, what led you to go to foster care? I was also in foster care. So this is like a subject that I'm uh, pretty I, I like to talk about a lot. I like to bring awareness around the foster care system, especially like, I mean, for me, I'm in Michigan. Um, so I believe the foster care system here is kind of jacked up and I'm sure it is everywhere. I mean, everybody I've talked to on this podcast, they're all from different parts of the country and they experience a lot of the same things. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, do you mind talk, like sharing a little bit about why you went into foster care and like what that was like for you? Um, I started going into foster care very young, like before I even remember. So my, my, um, biological mother, she had a lot of addiction issues and being with abusive men. Um, at one point I was told that there was some kind of sexual interference with me and one of her boyfriends. I don't know. So I, I have like very faint memories of it. I, I do think something happened, but anyways, yeah, she just, she wasn't fit and um, she abused me really bad. So um, it was, oh, like I, I remember one time when I was five years old, she used to call me bitch and she never called me my real name. She was never like Marie, you know? And I remember thinking, sitting there thinking like, why does she always say this to me? Like, why doesn't she call me my real name? You know? And then I think that people would call child welfare on her because they would hear her beating me up. She was really, really violent. And um, yeah, it was just, it wasn't safe at home at all. I never ever remember 
feeling safe, our hearing her say, I love you or anything. Like all my problems began at home where I was supposed to be safe. Unfortunately, that's uh, where a lot of people's problems begin, you know, when they're placed into, uh, or we're not placed, but you know, when they're born into a home or a family that, you know, they have a parent that struggles with abuse uh, of substances or other things, they oftentimes take it out on the children. It's very difficult. Um, so you don't know roughly about what age you went into care? I'm pretty sure I went into care at two months old. Wow. It's like, like I said, my mom, my biological parents, she was really bad. Like just horrible. Like I remember off and on when I would go back, she, she would get me back and then I didn't back in care. And I just remember the violence just got so bad that she, she would hit, even hit my siblings, you know, like. How many siblings just, do you have? I have two brothers and two sisters. Do you have uh, much of a relationship with them now? Yeah, well, um, one of my brothers, we don't. He got taken away from my mom when he was just a baby um, because the way she was. And so, but um, I have a, a brother who's a couple years younger than me. And we grew up like, we, we grew up pretty close. So, and um, me and my sisters were were we're really close. <laughs> I think, you know, okay. So our relationship, we ended up going to jail a lot together <laughs> and living the street life together. Um, they also ended up on the streets and in bad situations. And there's times we got arrested together. We did a lot, a lot of bad stuff together. And, um, our relationships are kind of different now because, um, me and my brother, we've grown out of that life. And one of my sisters is really, really deep into the gang life right now and stuff. And it's hard to communicate when she's talking all this gang talk. And I'm like, okay, shut up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I literally want to like reach you this phone and choke you. Shut up, you know. <laughs> but it's like, so our relationships are just different. You know, I just try to support my sister and you know, like I, I'm here for you. I want you to go to detox and treatment and I understand what you're going through. You're not happy. Don't want to be there. And that's all we can do right now. My brother has been um, clean off of drugs and out of the penitentiary for about four years now. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, when you say that you felt more com comfortable on the streets than in homes, what do you mean by that? Was it, or are these homes like, not very caring or loving or accepting what was what was that like i felt like in foster care i was always treated like the dirty indian mm. i feel like I we should probably tell people you're aboriginal you're aboriginal right yeah okay so i was always i always felt like i was treated really bad and really less you know i remember getting smacked by a foster mom you know i remember like there's just so many things I got spanked by a foster dad like you know it was just so much all the time and it was just like like fuck if I'm gonna get hit then I might as well go to the streets and you know <laughs> fucking deal with it there you know but on the streets it was different because I I had um when I was very young I had met 
this woman and she was like um like a crew boss like a gang leader on the girl's side so i don't know who led me our paths to each other but she saved me a lot like you know and i i earned some respect and everything i did based on following her so when you left these foster homes and you went into went onto the streets this lady she took you she kind of took you in and gave you a place to stay and fed you and all that stuff. Yeah, everything. Would you have to do anything in return? Mm. Yeah. We don't have to talk about that too much if you don't want to. Not really. <laughs> okay. All right. It was nothing horrible. Like I never, I never had to go like, um, you know, like sell myself for anything I didn't have to do that for her but right. there was things that I had to you know make sure were handled so right um what made you want to get out of that life I mean because like I'm sure like your sister and people I'm sure many people that you know once you're in that life you're kind of stuck in it right like it's very difficult to get out what made you what made you want to get out of that and how did you get out of that um so I had gotten, I was getting pretty deep into the life and um, my daughter's dad, he, he's seen that, you know, I was getting pretty deep and he decided to take me to his reserve and I, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave Edmonton, but I was so like in love. So I went <laughs> with him and uh, we had, he stole the truck. <laughs> I was just a passenger but <laughs> because I have um other like robberies and stuff like that on my record and stolen cars and stuff like that I, I uh, when we got arrested I got the heavy sentence and I found out I was pregnant in jail mm. and it was um it changed me scared me you know it was like I I had this like child growing inside of me and I I loved it but I didn't know how to love because my heart was so cold and angry from the streets and I knew I, I don't know it was just something inside of me just knew that this was it like do I want to be in jail the rest of my life and homeless or running the streets and doing like I my street life I wasn't a nice person you know, I had to protect myself and I had to be like, I had to really guard myself and be as cold as I could be because people on the streets will just take from you. And it's different. It's a hard life out there. Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure you kind of have to put up a barrier too, when you're being thrown from home to home to home and you don't really want to be open and like, can't. Or, yeah, you can, because I mean, you're so used to people just kind of throwing you away. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I just had this feeling in my heart that if I wanted to be a mother and love this child, I had to teach myself how to love again. And it was scary. Um, I got out of jail. I got out on parole. Um, how long were you in jail? Um, I got out a week before I had her on parole. So I had, I was doing parole in the community. Like I was still serving my sentence, but 
some, somebody was like, you know, I didn't think I was going to get parole. I, I was ready to sign the papers because I was about to have a baby in jail, um, sign her over to child welfare. Cause I had no choice. They didn't give me a choice. Um, but I got parole. So I was allowed to have her and I, um, had to see this my parole officer oh my god he was horrible <laughs> but like literally like I had to I had to check in like um twice a week the cops would come to my house you know it was just it was really bad but I started I knew that part of my change I had to reach out and tell people that I needed help because there was no way I was going to change just going and sitting by myself and being a new mother like there was no way and I and I didn't even know how to be a parent too like I never grew up with a good parent and the foster homes did not teach me basic anything you know like um they would just tell me but they would never sit down and teach me you know like the basic how to brush teeth how to comb your hair you know like stuff like that you know stuff you need to know so it was like I was like I need to learn this stuff. I need to become a parent. So I put myself in a parenting group and I got a counselor. And even though I hated the shit out of this lady, <laughs> I knew that I had to talk to her and I had to take her ideas and listen. And the hardest thing I had with counseling is, um, but it worked. That sh it, I swear to God, it changed my life. It really worked. But um. The hardest thing I had with them was like the counselor changeover. Like it felt like every three to six months I would get a new counselor and I'd, uh, I'd hate that lady too. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I hate you, you know? And, and now I went through three counselors and man, the advice they gave me and the amount of times, like I almost went back to jail. Like I just, when you, when you grow up in jail and foster homes and abusive parents, you have this anger and you know, like even sometimes I have to tell myself, like, settle down. It's okay. <laughs> you know, just breathe, you know, right. because I have an aggressive personality and that's part of protecting myself is I had to fight. I had to fight in foster homes, I had to fight in the streets. I definitely had to fight in jail. You know, it was, it was just what comes with the territory. And yeah, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is like when you're in foster care, you are kind of put on the defensive with anything and it's not just foster care. I mean, you were obviously living this like, um, crazy life. I mean, you were on the streets fending for yourself at 13 years old. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a friend down here and the first, actually the first streets that I ever hit was down here on Hastings. So I didn't start off in Edmonton streets or in Edmonton gangs. I started off on the worst streets in Canada. When you say worst streets, can you paint a picture? of? Because uh, I when... wish I could. I think the closest <laughs> I could get is like LA, like the okay. hood, like, you know, every, it's like literally such a small amount of blocks where there's like a hundred people doing dope and strung out. And if it's a bad dope, if there's bad dope in the city, those blocks are dangerous. It's bad, you know, because people don't aren't aware of what they're doing. You know, right. they're just, they're just in a psychosis. And there's really no enforcement on any of that stuff. Well, Cop there is, but you can't it down here. You can't, there's like, there's nothing you can do, but 
you know, I wish they would have a clean dope supply down here because it's like, everyone's dying. Like everybody's dying. It's just the dope is so bad in Canada. It's, and it's not saying like help the addict be an addict. It's like, they don't have to die because they have these traumas and these issues, you know, that are probably related to governments. So. Right. Um, so, I, so you went to jail, got out of jail, and then you realized, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm having a child. I need to change my life and, and be there for her. What was that like? Because like you said, you didn't know how to be a mom. You didn't know how to be in a, like a responsible adult. You'd always just kind of been on the defensive to, trying to, you know, protect yourself. What was that like? It was scary. Yeah. I knew that I had like, I didn't have any family to be there. I definitely had no street family to be there because they were still in that lifestyle and I couldn't mix that at that time. I still can't, but you know, <laughs> and um, I just, I really leaned on those counselors and those supports from this, like the people around me in the agencies, you know, because those were the people who were helping me. You know, every time I didn't know how to do something, I would call somebody and I'd be like, hey, how do I do this? Because I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. And it was like, the more I would reach out and the more I would ask for help, the more people would help me instead of me just trying to do it myself and making a complete mess of shit. <laughs> um, I think that's one thing a lot of people are kind of, it's, it's like a prideful thing, right? Like you don't want to ask for help. Um, <laughs> nobody likes asking for help because it kind of makes you look dumb if you ask for help but it's it's a real vulnerable thing and it's a good thing to ask for help because there's so many people that are willing if you just ask to help you yeah and that's the beautiful thing about like the my life change is um i like my record is so bad like i got so many assaults and all this crazy shit like you look at my record and you're like holy shit this woman you know <laughs> But it's like, and I hated the government, like ever since I honestly, from the first time I hit young offender and I had to go through the strip search and everything, I was so humiliated and terrified that at that, I remember at that moment, I felt like I can't even trust the government. Like this, this is, this is horrible. How could you do this to me? I'm a child, you know, like, but from that point on, I just, I hated them. And now it's like, I, I understand to a point, you know, like I have Aboriginal VPDs who, who are, oh my God, they're so amazing. I'm like, holy shit, I actually like a cop, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, and and I, I um, help with this cadet program and they work with, with youth. And it's, I think it's beautiful to see, to see VPD officers actually showing the youth that they care. I think you know. that's one thing that's really important is, um, especially like in the United States, I'm sure you hear all the time about the, the divisiveness between police officers and the, the public, the general public. And I think if you're a person that gets, you know, pulled over all the time by the police and you, all you have is bad interactions with the police, then you're going to have this paint, you're going to have this painted narrative of all police are bad and all they do is uh, you know, try to try, try to arrest people or beat people up or whatever it is. Um, but when you, when you actually get to know some of the different, different people in, in those, I guess, those fields, um, 
they're not all so bad. <laughs> they're, they're amazing. Like, um, I was so surprised. Like, uh, I went to go get lunches for the youth one day with one of the, the female Aboriginal officers. And the conversation we had, I was like, wow, I've never, ever had a full conversation with a cop before. Like a normal person, <laughs> you're talking to me like I exist, you know? Right. It was just like, and that's how they treat um, everybody. That's cool because um, I think a lot of people look at police officers like they're just like, like some like authority figure, but really they're just people like you and I. This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new house plants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one earth. So when you got out of the out of the street life, what was what was life like after that? I mean, you obviously were a new mother, um, just figuring things out and uh, kind of gathering yourself and figuring who you are, uh, figuring out who you are as a person. Yeah, I turned into a housewife. I actually had met somebody else and um, from my daughter or from my first daughter's dad. Um, he had passed away. So yeah. yeah, I should say late dad. So I had met somebody else and, um, we ended up having, getting, I got pregnant right away and he worked full time and he was a young Aboriginal man and he fell in love and we were together for quite some time. And, um, during that period, he used to drink a lot. So, and I just didn't like it. So I would just watch him all the time and it just wasn't good for us. And we went through some things, um, but he helped me a lot. Like he, if, if he like, just, he was such a, a good person. It was such an inspiration being with him because I, he actually showed me what it was like and taught me how to be a parent too. Cause he was a single dad when I met him yeah. and we worked together and, you know, our relationship wasn't the greatest, but I, I owe a lot of credit to him um, because I needed that time to settle down and understand what it was like to just be human right. and to have somebody love me. You know, I never had anybody love me the way he loved me and um, he passed away too. So I just, it's emotional talking to him, but yeah, he was, he was a great man. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, was it diff, is it difficult to have relationships after you were in, like, after you had to put up this guard, this wall of protecting yourself, is it difficult to kind of let people in and, and be vulnerable? It still is. It still is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, even, even in friendships, like if I, if I tell you something personal or some, something that's like, you know, I open up to you on a different level and not just like, you know, communicate to you as I know you. And I feel any sort of betrayal or anything like I, I close up again. 
and I, I, I kind of like, you know, I'll let you know that I'm, uh, you made me feel this certain way. And I think that sucks because when I'm hurt, I'm brutally honest. And sadly, it goes back to that foster care and street life. Like, I, I'm kind of aggressive getting that point across to you that you hurt me, you know? Like, I'm not going to physically attack you, but I'm going to tell you you hurt me, you know? Right. And I'm learning. I'm trying to learn how to control that and just be like, whatever. But it's like, you, you still have to work on those things. Like, you know, because I feel like um, foster homes and institutions, they institutionalize you. You know, like being in a foster home, it's not, it's not like a home. It's like, you know, it's like a run. Like they're programmed to run you just like a guard's programmed to run you in jail. You know, yeah. you have these things that you have to do the way that, the way that they want it. You don't really have choices so yeah it's not really like a like a family structure right like it's not like you go in this home and you're you're accepted like you're one of them you're essentially put in that home and expected to just fit in the way they want you to mm-hmm. and, if, and if you don't then you're an outsider and i think and I never uh, fit in <laughs> what's that i never fit in like, <laughs> Even, even like, I swear in business, sometimes I'm like, what am I doing here? (laughs) I don't think they, they understand what I'm doing, you know? So it's like, I have that, um, kind of underdog personality. So that's a good personality to have though, because when you rise above it and you, you, you know, plug on for the podcast, I guess, um, when you overcome and you're able to, you know, get a, a position that's really high up there or whatever, people are like, wow, I'm impressed. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, right now, I, like, I always like being the under, the underdog. <clears throat> I feel for the underdog. Like, um, like I'm still like that right now in business. Like I'm a lot, I'm a lot more established and, um more educated and smarter now than I was when I first got out of jail like completely my life is completely different like I'm a business owner now I'm into fashion um and I know some really great people but it's like I'm still learning and I still feel that like even like I remember one time I really doubted myself and my one of my friends was like can you just shut up Marie like you have your foot in the door people know you you're a designer just just get that and I'm like okay okay you know, but you know, you always like, um, you always have a little doubt, you know, like, oh, yeah. is this, is this the way they like it? <laughs> you know? Right. It, yeah. You're kind of, kind of your worst critic. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. It's good to be critical of yourself as long as you're not too critical to the point where you're stunting your ability to grow. Um, how did you, let's talk about your business and how you got involved with designing and um, kind of where your life has gone since all of that. Um, when did you start your business? Um, I started it in 2000. Oh, okay. So it's been going quite a while. Oh, no, wait, not 2000. Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> 2021. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so you, you started it during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. 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 How was that? Um, okay. So what had happened is the pandemic had hit and I was in college. I was actually going for my bachelor in social work because I was like, you know what? Screw child welfare. I'm going to change this. Oh, I think he froze. Okay. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> no problem. I thought uh, maybe my okay, internet there. died or something. No, it's, uh, uh, I'm really bad at charging things. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I, uh, I've had that happen before with my computer. Forget to plug it in or something and just dies. Um, so where were we? We were talking about um, your business and starting it during the, the during, in 2021, during the pandemic. Yeah. So I was going to school to, for my bachelor in social work because I wanted to change the system and, you know, change how foster homes and all that stuff was run. Um, when I was going to college, it was so horrible. Like it was... The fact that they were putting Indigenous people into the social work system was good, but what the government was giving them to teach us with was horrible. It was racist. It was uh, it was so bad. Like I couldn't even believe I was listening to this stuff. How was it? How was it racist? Or what was so well, bad? Well, they say that um, low income, single mothers, single parents, and um, Indigenous people are bound to fail and our children are bound to fail too. Like it's written in a textbook. Like it's, it was so just, the things I was listening to were just so bad, you know? And I, when I went into my second year of college, um, I, well, I, I started getting into fashion um, in my first year of college. So I did it as my practicum because they shut down everything and I needed to figure out like, how am I going to get my practicum done? Because I'm about to fail if I don't. And um, somebody, it was when the masks first came out. And I remember sitting there and I was looking at this mask and somebody had sewed a mask and I'm like, that's pretty easy to do. Like I could do that. I did that shit in jail. Like you know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to work, um, I used to work in this one unit where that's all we would do was just sew all day. Like, Freaking wow. everything, socks, panties, everything. <laughs> were, you, were you guys selling them, or like, what was it like a job? We, we were selling them for all the jails in Canada. Wow. Yeah, it was like an industry kind of thing that I worked for. So was it like I, was I, it like I slave labor? Um. Well, it was fun. It was getting you oh. out of your jail cell and off the unit. So it was it was pretty good. We had a good team leader. I didn't okay. think it was. I mean, I could sew some shit pretty fast now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably came in handy, I'm sure, especially as a mom. It's, well, I well, I don't sew anything for my children. Not yet. I'm just starting to get back into like the whole sewing. But um, I did the masks. I sewed like five or six hundred masks, face masks, and um, we printed on them and designed them. And then I had this fashion company here in Vancouver at East Van. The guy was like. He's like, oh my God, you're going to be something good. Like, I just see this. You're going to be big in life, you know? He's like, I want you to come work for me. I was like, all right, you know, fashion, sure. Might as well, you know? And um, right before I started working for him, I had to make a choice. And it was um, either pursue my bachelor in social work and feel like I wasn't going to be able to help the people. And I wasn't going to conquer anything that I was supposed to do in life because I feel like, my heart and my soul is a helper. Like I have to help people. And um, in order to do that, yeah, going to school, I wasn't going to be able to do that. I felt like becoming part of, I was about to become part of the problem. 
and it really bothered me. So I made the choice to walk away from college and pursue um, fashion. And I wanted to help people while I was doing fashion. And um, yeah, so I went to work for this fashion company for two and a half weeks. And in that two and a half weeks, I realized that I didn't want to work. <laughs> I didn't want to work for this person. Um, he was a great mentor. Like I'm, I'm not dissing him in any way. I, you know, we didn't, we didn't end great, but it made me realize that I need to be independent in my own business. Like I need, I need that space and I can't have somebody control me or mediate what I'm doing in fashion. And yeah, I'm never going to work for the man again. <laughs> <laughs> So at that point, did you decide, well, I'm just going to do, do this myself and you, you started your own business? Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. It was kind of like, <laughs> it was kind of like, um, yeah, it was like, it was kind of like somebody being like, fuck you. And then being like, me being like, yeah, fuck you too. Watch this. <laughs> you know, you just started something. <laughs> so that yeah, that's pretty much how it went. And, um, on that, starting my own business and stuff. And I, I was pushing designs. Like I was literally like, just, you know, I was really, really trying. I was putting my shit in stores, um, stores on Hastings and main street. They have like my masks and they're putting my shirts in and stuff. Like, you know, they really, they see it, you know? And what kind of, uh, what kind of stuff do you design? I mean, obviously you said masks and shirts and stuff, but what kind, what inspires you? Mm, so, so I'm just because I'm Aboriginal. A lot of people think I would have like Indigenous designs, and I do because one one design went viral that's Indigenous, and I and I do respect Indigenous art, but I feel like my where my heart's at in fashion is more like kind of gang shit. I don't know, like bandanas and like, you know, some hard street stuff. Like, it just feels good to me to like <laughs> throw on a ski mask that's covered with crystals. I don't know. <laughs> oh. So it's just, um, I feel like my, my taste is more street than it is, say, um, professional, I guess. I don't know. I mean, why does it need to be professional, right? It, and and that's and that's true. Like I fought with that a lot because people say, you know, you have a reputation to uphold and stuff. And it's like I do, I understand that. And I do do that by not engaging in my old life. Right. <laughs> you know, but but as for fashion, like I I don't know. I just I, I see I see life, I see fashion different, you know. Yeah, I mean it's a form of art. I had one artist tell me, I was like, we were looking at a bandana and I was like, I want to change that because it's like different. And he's like, and I'm like, but how, but can I, you know? And he's like, why couldn't you, 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 as an artist, you get to make it how you like it. Cause it's right. your art it belongs to you. Right. And I remember sitting there thinking that and I was like, wow, you know, like I'm really going to do this bandana thing now, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> It was, it's just little things, little things that people say to me sometimes inspire me. Well, and that's the thing about art too, is like, you know, people can choose to not like it. 
they can choose to not buy your things, but the people who do buy it, they like it. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody likes it, right? I mean, obviously you're, you're making these things and people are buying them. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember one time I had this, this lady kind of, uh, she came and she looked at one of my shirts and she was like, you know, she just gave me this feeling that she really didn't like it. And I, and I, that night I went home and I was like, I should take that shirt out of my store. Oh. You know, like, I can't believe it. Like she really doesn't like it. And maybe it doesn't look good. And literally I woke up like the next morning when I woke up and I checked my store, somebody had bought it. Wow. <laughs> I was just like, wow, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah. do you have like an online store or do you have uh, like a storefront? Yeah, I have an online store and it's www.prettyvandesigns.ca. Okay. And um, I do put my stuff in stores along Hastings and Main Street, like um, convenience stores, because I feel like I feel like putting in a convenience store. There's so much flow of people and, you know, right. East Van people like the things I make. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, especially because you're like a local artist. So why not buy from you? Yeah, well, I, I, I have customers like all over the States too. And, you know, oh, I got cool. some reps out in Las Vegas and, you know, like a lot of people have just shown me a lot of love and it keeps me going in the fashion industry because even though like, even though like I feel like I'm, I'm learning the business by myself and stuff. Like I have people guiding me and mentoring me and stuff, but I'm still, it's me just learning it. Like I don't have say a partner to share that with and be like, and grow from each other. Like I'm growing by myself here. Right. Um, so you got, you got involved into police work as well. You have a business yeah. um, designing and, and then now you're, you're working in the police department, right? Well, not in the police department, but um, for an, it's called the Vancouver <clears throat> Aboriginal Community Policing Center. Okay. And um, so it's 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 like a policing center, you know? Do you get it? But we work <laughs> alongside like Aboriginal officers and VPD and stuff like that. So it's really amazing. And it's actually crazy how it happened because it was like I I started doing podcasts with uh, a with a Aboriginal nonprofit company called the Aboriginal Front Door Society. Wait, or maybe it's just Aboriginal front door, but I started doing podcasts with them and I had no idea that they were watching me. And, um, I was really, really getting into the printing and stuff because when I designed my first shirts, I had spent so much money getting somebody else to print them for me that I was like, there's no way I'm going to survive. Like I need to print myself. And that was something that my first mentor taught me too, is that, um, the only way you're going to get ahead in this business is if you do it yourself you know, relying on other people to do your printing and to make your clothes for you is not going to get you anywhere. So I, um, I, I got people to train me in screen printing and I had I found out there was this, there was a screen printing office here in East Bend and yeah, I needed a place to print. And then I met this like amazing person, um, my boss, and at first I was scared of him. Like, like his presence is just like so powerful. You, you walk in a room and it's like complete silence. Like you're like, Oh my God, you know? <laughs> and I felt like that. I felt like, I felt like the first time I met him, I had to put up this like complete brick wall and, you know, like guard myself, like, Oh my God, who is this person? You know? <laughs> and I, 
I felt like that when I first met him and I, I met him at the studio and we had like a brief talk and then um I I did a print job in his studio I think it was like a hundred shirts maybe 200 shirts or something a bunch of sweaters and he asked me if I wanted to work for them and he said that they were watching me and when as soon as he said they were watching me on the podcast and stuff and he invited me to work for him I felt like um I don't know I felt like the shift in my life like it was weird like I was like oh my god like this is like le legitimately my first job like I'm going to be paying taxes and like you know like holy like I'm I'm they gave me a business card and it's my first business card and I'm like oh my god wow. you know insane <laughs> so <laughs> it's been um being recognized by people that high in society and people that are able to help people in a large volume and you know government people it, it was it was kind of mind-blowing and it was surreal it was like holy you know this is this is my dream job like wow. how did I how did I land this you know like what happened to make me qualified to do this you know it was it was just a lot a lot of things have gone through my head and I've been working with them for over a year now and it's like every day they give me something new to learn. Like, I mean, I haven't stopped growing since I've been with them. Can and I kind of feel myself like um, maturing into it and, you know, like being able to actually have people to rely on, you know, it's, right. my boss is such an incredible mentor that I'm like this amazing person, you know, like, wow. What, what kind of things do you do? So I am, um, I work part-time as a screen printer. So I usually do large orders of screen printing shirts, custom orders. So if you I send mean, me your logo. I mean, uh, I mean for the, the police. Uh, yeah, that's what I do for them. <laughs> oh, that's what you do. For, okay. Yeah, okay. I have two jobs with them. So one is oh. that I'm the manager of their screen printing studio. Okay. And my second part of my job is I'm a youth coordinator. Oh. So... I get to work um, training youth in arts. I I teach youth how to screen print. So I just had my first student um, graduate. So and now I have another student coming in and another young lady who's going to come in and I'm going to teach her how to screen print. Um, I also go work with the VPD Aboriginal Police and I work with them with their youth and. Um, it's pretty soon. I'm, I believe in the next two to three months, I'll, I'll be sharing with the youth um, my story about police and how bad it was for me and what it took for me to come out of that life. And, you know, just basically telling the youth, like, I understand because I was there and, you know, there's, there's a better way. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's really important, especially coming from somebody who had such an experience with the, the police that you had and um, coming from the background that you came from. I think it's real important for young people to um, to hear it from somebody like you. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really incredible what you're doing. And uh, I, uh, I commend you for being able to turn your life around like that and being able 
to in turn help other people now because that's one thing that you were wanting to do was to help the youth and now you're able to do that. I know it's amazing and anybody can do it. Like anybody, you know, and especially the harder the life you've lived, you can do it. I mean, <laughs> I thought I was gonna die on the streets, literally. Ever since I was a teenager, I thought that that was guaranteed for me. And I'm, I'm living better than I've ever lived. That's one thing I, I always talk about is um, like, no matter how hard your life has been, like anything that's remotely difficult after that is nothing compared to the worst thing you've been through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life can still be difficult, but it's not like, you know, you, you now have the tools necessary to know how to handle it and, and move forward. Yeah, definitely. Like the biggest thing to change is asking for help. Yeah. You know, and once you learn how to do that and your life is just, it's just going to go places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are some of your uh, future goals as far as, uh, obviously you, you love what you're doing with the, with your job and your business. What are some of your goals? Mm, well, right now I'm growing the studio for the Aboriginal, Vancouver Aboriginal Policing Society. But um, with my own business, I want to grow that and make it um, huge. I want, I want this business to be able, I want to be able to pass this down to my daughters. You know, like I really want to get deep into the fashion and just do more. I see so many designers right now opening up stores and stuff like that. Like I want five stores and five different malls, like across wow. Canada. Like I just want, I want it all. And I believe that I, I can work hard enough to do it. Like I'm capable of doing this. So I think you're capable of doing it. Obviously you have a really strong mindset and as long as you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I found your story to be really inspiring. I, I think that it's real difficult for people who were in uh, the position you were in. And I was kind of in a similar situation, but not. I, I never grew up on the streets like you did. Um, but I was in foster care. And I think it's easy to let your circumstances kind of define who you are as a person. And it's easy once you're involved in a wrong crowd the wrong crowd to allow them to just drag you down and a lot of people just let that let that continue to drag them down until it ends up fatal or they end up in prison for the rest of their life and i think it's remarkable that you were able to turn your life around and not only like better your life but you're living a great life i mean you have, you have kids who are fighting in the background <laughs> <laughs> You work for, you have your, you have your business, you've gone to college. I mean, you're a success. Thank you. It, it's, it wasn't easy, but um, like I said, I just, I want the youth to know that they can do it. I want people who are addicts and struggling on the streets with homelessness know that they can do it. You know, you just ask for help, you know, and one of the saddest things that I think about life and us kids going into care is most of the damage happens from our homes from the places that we're supposed to be safe and I just hope that 
any child who's going through that can reach out and ask for help because you know somebody somebody will listen and it's not right to for it for any child to be abused the way i was so absolutely well it's been a pleasure talking to you i know you got to get going because your kids are, <laughs> are scrapping it out um so i understand that like one sick, so what's that i said one sick and she's trying to fight off her sister so. <laughs> <laughs> oh poor kid um yeah i i completely get that my son is always beating up my daughter and my daughter's older. You would think she could hold her own, but <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I guess real quick before we wrap this up, do you have any words of inspiration that you would like to project onto the podcast for the listeners? Um, oh, I used to have a good one. I, I said a lot, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just do it. Just like one thing that I remember going through college and when I opened up about being a street kid and gangs and stuff, I did have some people not want to be my friends after that. And it was hard on me. It was hard to be judged by people who I thought were my friends and my peers. But at the end of the day, I, I just kept reminding myself that this isn't going to matter in a year from now. Like in a year from now, I'm not going to be sitting in this classroom and you know, I just, I want anyone who's going through any struggles right now to know that you can change those problems, you know, like in a year from now, life could be so much better and look at my life a year later. <laughs> yeah. And I think if anybody who, um, you know, you're friends with that want, they, they, they get angry when you want to change your life, they're not, they're not your true friends anyways, you know, they're, yeah, no. they're only there momentarily and then they're gone. Um, I think that's really good advice. Um, so, uh, real quick, you want to plug your, your website, your social media, that way people can find you and then, uh, we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Um, so on Facebook and Instagram, it's pretty Eastman and on the store is www.prettyvandesigns.ca. And if you're really brave, come on over to TikTok and find me at Pretty Fun. You're on TikTok? Yeah, my life is on TikTok. <laughs> I, I, I have like, I, I do, my personal life's on Facebook, but my store's on Facebook. Um, Instagram's just Instagram and TikTok, it gets real. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, uh, I'll be sure to follow you on all those. And then I will uh, also put those in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yes, bye. All right, bye.